Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast has content that may not be appropriate for all audiences. You'll hear about some difficult subjects like drug abuse, domestic violence, suicidal thoughts, and sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 1, Shining Star. My name is Emmy. For as long as I can remember, I've been looking for love. For a while, I was looking in all the wrong places. I covered that ground in season one. I looked for love from guys who were jealous. If they wanted to possess me, then they must have loved me. I looked for passion. Passion that came alongside volatility and violence. And last season... I try to figure out why I settled for that type of love. And surprise, surprise, I trace that back, following a trail of crumbs back to my childhood. In my childhood memories, I found evidence of where so much of my behavior came from. I was desperate for love. I never got it from my dad, who was basically out of the picture. I was desperate for attention from my mom, who had me at age 14, who was addicted to heroin, who was in and out of my life, who left me to be raised by my grandma, my mamilicha. And then mamilicha ended up in prison herself after doing business with the Mexican drug cartel. I felt abandoned. I thought I was unlovable. But that's my narrative. That's my memory. Just part of the truth. If my mom were to tell you the story of my life, how would she tell it? My mom, Hilda, was in her addiction for most of my life. But things are different now. My mom's clean. She's present in my life. It's complicated for sure, but it's better than it's ever been. It's taken me years, but I've done a lot of work to forgive my mom. And now, I want to listen to her story. Because her story, it's my story too. I want to try to understand how we got trapped in these cycles of addiction, violence, and chaos. How we all ended up settling for crumbs. I'm Emmy, and this is Crumbs. It's a show about the things we settle for and the bits of ourselves that make us who we are. In every conversation that my mom and I have, I ask her why things happen, why this event happened, or why things went down the way they did. She says, Emmy, we had really good times too, but you only remember the negative. She's always seemed to see things differently than I do. 
And that has made me mad in the past. But maybe there's beauty in that. I guess we'll find out. Hi, mom. Hi. How are you feeling? I'm I'm feeling okay. I feel good. Excited. Ready. So much to talk about. Okay. You know, I had a conversation with my dad yesterday. Oh, you didn't mention that. I was wondering why yesterday I was feeling off in the afternoon. There was something that I just felt vulnerable. I felt raw. I felt like I needed to cry. And then I remember that I talked to my dad earlier that day. You know, my dad's been in his addiction almost his entire life. He nearly died recently. Yes. And that was, it was difficult to see my grandmother go through that with him. So when I talked to him yesterday, I had this, I had a really direct conversation with him about when are you going to put that shit down and enjoy life? And what did he say? You know, he said he was going to do good. But we already know from our own experiences what that, what that phrase means to me, right? So kind of gave him a little lecture, but it just like left me thinking. I, I felt compassion for the man, right? After all, he is my father. Even though he wasn't part of my childhood, he's still my biological father. It's funny that you bring this up because just the day before yesterday, your Nana and I were having this conversation where she just thinks it's, she doesn't understand how you're, when it comes to your dad, you're a little cold. How you don't feel this, oh no, my dad is sick. I have to be there for him. And I just, I wanted to find the right ways, the right words without hurting her feelings to let her know like he's never been there for her. He's never given her any affection, warmth, any of his time. But I just knew that deep down inside, you felt something. And now that you're saying how you were feeling vulnerable yesterday, I, I understand. I feel like maybe you know my dad a little bit better than I do. I think so, yes. Why don't you tell me about him? How did you meet him? I'm in the seventh grade and... My mom, she protected me so much, I couldn't go anywhere, I couldn't go outside. And and then all of a sudden, once I started getting my period, I started changing. I don't know what it was, but um, I started sneaking out of the house and ditching school and experimenting with weed and all that, alcohol. So one day, another friend and I, we ditched school and we were in her room going through her phone book, just calling people, you know, guys. And I saw this name and this phone number and it said Neto. And I was like, Neto, what kind of a name is that? Well, let me call him. But the person that answered was his brother, your uncle. So I built a friendship with him and my friend built a friendship with your dad. And now and then I would talk to your dad and I really liked your dad's voice. How old was he? He was 16. He was also young, but he'd lived a little more. He had more experience, more life experience than you had. Yes. How did he describe himself? Did you ask? Were you curious? No, I just fell in love with that voice. What about his lifestyle? His lifestyle was a lot like mine, so I was really attracted to that. He was a homeboy, and at that time, you know, that's what I was into. 
So tell me about meeting him for the very first time. Wait a minute. How long did you talk to him on the phone before meeting him? I want to say a couple of months. Oh, wow. Okay. One day, it must have been a Saturday or something, a friend of mine and I took the bus to the mall and we called him. And he said, come meet me at a certain park. So we jumped on the bus and went. And there he was. And he looked nothing like what I expected. Wait, wait. What did you expect? Paint the picture for me. I'm just curious to see what you expected this homeboy to look like. That I thought he was just a tall, dark, and handsome type of homeboy. And he was, you know, about my height and had a black eye. And what did you think of him at first? Like, ew. (laughs) That's literally what I thought. But he had these beautiful eyes and just stared at me in a way that no one had ever, no one had ever looked at me the way he did. You thought, ill, yet he was giving you this attention. Yes. It didn't make me uncomfortable, but it was sort of as my friend wasn't there, and yet she was. He wore the saggy khakis and the Pendletons, and, you know, he had a nice low rider at 16. I'm sure it was your... Tata's car, but he drove around in this really nice lowrider. And so after, he said nothing, you know, he walked us around the park and walked us to the bus stop when it was time to leave. But that evening, when he called to speak to my friend, he said, no, I want to talk to you. And I just thought it was weird. And it was weird because I wanted to talk to him too. happened next? I would come home from school. He would call me. We would spend hours on the phone talking about everything and nothing. I mean, whatever kids that age would talk about at that time. He loved music. I know you know that about him. But he was ready to have more than just a phone relationship. I wasn't. I was so young and, you know, I never really had friends or anything. And Certainly not a boyfriend. Now he wanted to see me on a regular basis. I couldn't just ask for permission to go out with him. And so I started lying to my parents as to where I was going. And he would pick me up in his car. And it was not that long before he was taking me to this park. This park that was known as The Wing. It's in South San Diego, Montgomery Park. We called it The Wing because there's an actual wing from a bomber plane buried there. It's a California landmark, and I didn't even know this for a very long time. What made this place special is that everyone on the south side from San Isidro, Del Sol, or other neighborhoods would go there and hang out. And when I was growing up at night, There was these beautiful lowriders that would cruise the park and meet up. For many of us, meeting at the wing was like forbidden because, well, our parents knew what went on, so we weren't allowed to go there. Um, People would drink and get high. Some people would hook up. It was like the spot for all the young people to go in the South Bay area. So me and Eto would go to the swing. We would just sit there and, you know, make out. We were in love. What did love feel like for you as a 13-year-old? 
kid, essentially. Love for me was thinking about him all day long, writing his name all over my books and schoolwork. I couldn't focus on anything anymore. Wearing his t-shirt to me, that was like, oh, huge. And just wanting to be on the phone with him all the time. And that was enough for me, but it wasn't enough for him. He was very demanding and pretty much said, if you love me. Oh, the classic line. Yes. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So one night there was a school dance, and I had permission to go with my friends. My mother dropped me off at the front of the school and promised to pick me up when the dance was over. And so as soon as she drove off, your father was already waiting for me. And so I left with him. And I remember we went to the wing and I think we had already planned that, okay, this was gonna be the night where I was gonna show him just how much I loved him. And so that's when you were conceived at the wing. How did that feel? 
I remember when I came home that night, I just felt like really dirty, like I had done something horrible. Because in reality, I had done this to prove to him how much I loved him, but not because I wanted to. I wasn't ready for this. And I feel like my father maybe felt something because when I walked in the door, he slapped me. That was the first time, the only time that my father ever put his hands on me. And so I stayed home from school the next day. I remember I just wanted to sit in a bathtub and soak. I just felt so horrible. And then I didn't hear from him for a while. How long? I don't know, maybe a week. But you have to remember that we were on the phone all the time. So for me, this was horrible. Why wasn't he calling me? Why wasn't he there when I called him? What was going on? That's such a terrible feeling. It was. Because I can relate to it. You know, you have this rapport with someone and then you're with them texting or talking to them all the time and then you hang out and then it stops abruptly. So it's like it, the message that I get is that, oh, that's all you wanted. Like, I don't mean used. anything. Exactly. I felt so used and more because when he dropped me off that night, he dropped me off at the corner. So I walked home from the corner to my house and in the middle of the night and I just felt so dirty. And I don't remember how we started talking again or what his excuse was. And of course, after this, we repeated the trip to the wing a few more times. So you never knew why he didn't call? Nope. I felt pretty used and I felt ashamed. Maybe it was just a game for him. You know, he got what he wanted and now he could go brag to his homeboys about our time at the wing. Maybe he moved on to his next conquest. I just know that when he did call me, nothing else mattered to me. It felt amazing when he did call. I totally forgave him and we went back to normal. So then what happened? That was probably the happiest time of my life. And I just continued to see your dad every chance I got. I signed up for summer school because the classes were going to be at the school that he went to. And so that meant that we'd be able to spend more time together. I remember showing up for the first day of school and I had to leave the classroom to go to the bathroom and throw up. And your dad was there and he said, are you okay? And I said, I don't feel good. I need to leave. So that's when I started suspecting that I was pregnant. What was going through your mind? I was scared. I was happy. It's like everything was about to change for me. I was no longer going to be that lonely child that watched her parents fight, that had no friends, that slept with the light on still. I was about to start my own family and be happily ever after. Like this enormous change would be a fresh start and solve all your problems. I started hoping that I was really pregnant. And you were 14? 
So I turned 14 on July 11th, and on July 21st, I went and got a pregnancy test at Planned Parenthood. Your father took me in his lowrider. And I told your dad that I was pregnant as soon as I walked out of the doctor's room. What was his reaction like? He was as happy as me, as excited. Like, we weren't thinking, like, we're young. What are we going to do with this child? How are we going to support this child? We didn't think about all that, all the consequences, everything that came with having a baby. We just thought we're in love and we're having a baby. We got in the car. And remember I told you how he loved music. And that song, Shining Star, had just come out. And that was like one of the best moments of my life because I'm in a low rider with this homeboy that I was in love with and loved me. I'm about to have his child and this beautiful song. And he's singing it to me. He sang it to me the whole way to my sister's house because I, I was too scared to go home. So after he dropped you off, what happened next? So he dropped me off at my sister's house and I told her. And so she called my mom and told my mom. And of course, my mom drove over there right away. My mom was crying and she was saying, how could you do this to me? And I, I didn't even want to look at her. And so she said, well, your dad doesn't want you coming back home. You're moving out with him. And I was like, with who? With this guy that you're pregnant with, you're leaving with him. And I'm like, no, wait, I don't, I hardly know him. Everything changed. Everything changed at that moment. All of a sudden I was afraid, like... Like shit got real. Your nana, your tata, your dad's parents... They came and took me to their house. Your dad was there waiting for me, very happy. And I I wasn't feeling the happiness that he was feeling. Like, I hardly know these people, right? That was the beginning of a new life for me, you know? I had to live there. You were just a kid. Your mom kicks you out. Maybe you felt happier when you thought this new life of yours was on your terms. But now you have no say in the matter. I sort of felt abandoned by Mami Licha. As much as I fought for my freedom from my parents, they were all that I knew. I mean, I never had a sleepover at a friend's house as a child. And now they're sending me away to live with strangers. I must have been about five or six months pregnant when she stopped being angry with me. She took one look at my swollen belly and her anger was gone. She instantly became excited about her grandchild. And let me just tell you that she already had 15 grandkids, but this one was going to be her child. So immediately she was back at being in control of my life, even when I still lived with my new family. Mamilicha began to plan my future 
and my child's. But you were still living at my Nana's. Did that get easier over time? I wasn't feeling that happiness that I thought I would. I missed being in school. I missed my friends. I just, I missed my home, my parents, my... This life was a little too perfect for me. I was used to the chaos at my house, the violence. It's weird, but I think I missed all of that. These people were very nice. Your grandfather left to work at the same time every day and got home at exactly the same time every day. And I wasn't used to this, to the structure and sitting at the dinner table together. All of this was new for me. It's so interesting to me to hear that you felt like my dad's side of the family was so structured and my Melicha's side of the family was a little more chaotic, which for me was the complete opposite growing up. I felt really out of place with them. They were just so normal, but I did get used to them over time. So by the time I was like eight months pregnant, I had the best of the two families, Mami Licha and Papa Beto, your nana and your tata. I'm eight months pregnant and your grandmother says, you need to get married. And I was like, what? What do you mean married? Why? Because you have to be married or you're going to have a bastard child. And so... I had to get married. Both your nana and my mom, Mami Licha, had to go to the courthouse and sign for us because we were both minors. I was eight months pregnant. Your dad was working at a fish market and he was wearing a white t-shirt with fish blood stains all over. How romantic. (laughs) So we're married now, and weeks went by, and I start feeling contractions. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way. Knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with the Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. 
Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the middle of the night, and your dad and one of my nieces take me outside to walk. And they take me all the way to the 7-Eleven. And they start playing video games at the 7-Eleven. And while I'm in, I'm going through these contractions, you know, and they're playing Pac-Man or whatever it was. We go back home and my mom drives us to the hospital. And I remember one of my sisters telling me, I could just see you in the labor room, screaming and crying and screaming for your mom. And so in my head, I said, I am not going to scream. I'm not calling for my mom. I don't want an epidural. I don't want any numbing. I'm going to have this baby natural. And I'm not going to complain, not one time. And that's exactly what I did. I had a natural childbirth. I didn't complain one time. I didn't scream, not once. Jesus Christ, mom, that's insane. (laughs) And your dad was there holding my hand through the whole thing. I remember when your dad saw you for the first time. I remember how he held you and cried and he was very happy. He was very emotional. He hugged you, he held you, and then he held me. It was a perfect little moment. It's hard for me to imagine my dad being so excited to see me and being emotional over meeting me for the very first time just because of how our relationship has been our entire lives. But I also want to hear what it was like for you seeing me for the first time, how you felt. I remember looking at you because you didn't look anything like what I expected. I mean, yes, your dad has some beautiful green eyes, but he also has like dark black curly hair. And, you know, he's on the darker side. And here I'm holding this super blonde baby with bright blue eyes, you know? And for a second, I felt like this fear, like, Oh my God, is he going to think this isn't his baby? 
But no, it was nothing like that. The moment he saw you, he embraced you and cried and just loved you so much. So then here comes the family. Everyone wants to see this baby. And I'm sure everybody was as surprised as I was. I could see it in your mommy Licha's face. She was very happy to see that you were this beautiful, blonde, blue-eyed baby. And it was your nana that decided, because you were such a different color from them, that she said, El güero, mi güero. And I liked that. So we all started calling you Wero, and that was your name for the next many, many years. Forever. <laughs> yeah. And then what happened? I'm living at your Nana's house. Back then, I was not a morning person. So if you woke up at 5 a.m. on a Saturday wanting to be fed or needed a diaper change, guess who was going to get up and do all this? Your dad. One of your aunts used to make fun of him because she would come over and he'd be like half asleep, you know, burping you or whatever. And she would ask, well, where's Hilda? Oh, she's sleeping. Be quiet. (laughs) So yeah, your dad was very much involved in your life. As a baby. As a baby. The first year. I feel like I should be happier hearing about this. That my dad was this loving, caring parent when I was a baby. But it's weird. I just think of him as a distant relative. Not a dad, really. You have to remember that you weren't even two years old when your dad started his addiction and has been in it since. So I don't know if that plays a role in this, but I'm assuming so. Listening to you tell me how you met my dad and how I was conceived and how both sides of the family fought for me, you know, I had this like warped perception of like not being loved, right? Like like I wasn't enough. Yet in hearing you tell these stories, I, I'm hearing how everybody loved me from the get-go. Everybody just like fell in love with me from the moment they saw me. Before you were even born, everybody loved you like you were the main focus of the family. You brought so many people together because, I mean, I had five baby showers and that everybody wanted to hold you. Everyone wanted to play with you. Everyone wanted to babysit you. Everyone, everyone loved you. And you were a very happy baby. It's hard to imagine me being such a happy baby when such so much of my childhood was very sad and dark. So hearing that at one point in my life I had joy as a baby makes me feel good. I thought I could pave my own way with this new family with you, our new baby.
When I think about the story of my life, it's so easy to fixate on the bad things. And look, there was a lot of bad. But I just honestly never knew my parents were happy for a bit. I never even saw them together or really had my dad around. My family, my mamulicha, my nana, everyone came together to get excited about this baby. Me. It's nice to hear about it. And I feel a pang, like I missed out on this feeling. But it also makes me wonder, with so much love and potential here, how did I end up feeling so distant from my parents? I know my grandma, my mamilicha, had something to do with it. She was a force, our matriarch. She shaped us into the women we are today. And I know she had a big role in what happened next. Next time on Crumbs, when did you realize, when you see Mamilicha started working, when did you realize what she did for a living? Probably the time when the DEA agents showed up. Hey listeners, there's a lot of difficult subjects that we cover in this show. If you're someone you know needs help, you can reach the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline at one 800 They'll connect you with information and resources on treatment. There's also the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. Both are available 24-7. You don't have to be in crisis to reach out either. They're available for anyone who needs help. Crumbs is a Sonoro production in partnership with iHeart's My Cultura Network and Trojan Horse. It's produced by Hannah Bottom and edited by Margaret Catcher, Rodrigo Crespo, and Alex Humero with support from Elizabeth Schutzel. Original music by D. Peter Schmidt. And engineering by Carlos Magaña and Manuel Parra. Studio recording by JTB Recording and Podcasting Studio. Executive produced by Connell Byrne and Giselle Vances for iHeart, Alex Fumero and Margaret Catcher for Trojan Horse, Camila Victoriano and Joshua Weinstein for Sonoro, and me, Emmy Olea. Special thanks to Mariana Coronel Aguirre, and of course, my mom, Hilda Gamboa. Listen to Crumbs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots 
the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 